Today, I want to talk to you. Last week, we talked about embracing God's plan. We looked at Psalms 8 of how that God made us just a little more than himself. We were the apex of God's creation and this wonderful plan he had for us, a plan that mankind, human beings, we sinned against God, and that plan that he had for us didn't turn out the way that he wanted it to turn out for us. Sin separated us in our fellowship from him. Sin separated our relationships with one another. But we looked at creation, and over and over through the years, I've reminded you, everything you find in the first three chapters of Genesis, you will find in Revelation. And in February, I'll begin a new midweek series through the book. We're going to go exegetically through the book of Revelation. But you don't want to miss that. But we talked about how that God in Christ comes, brings reconciliation, brings back to us meaning and purpose in our job, brings back meaning and purpose to us in our relationships, brings back meaning and purpose to us in our relationship with him and one another, our marriages and our families. One of the things we looked at last week was that two-thirds of everything Jesus said can be tied back to that dominion mandate in Genesis chapter 1 where God says take dominion. Jesus ties it all back to stewardship how we live our lives once we've given our hearts to Jesus. Stewardship of our time, stewardship of the earth that we live upon, stewardship of our families, our marriages, stewardship of our future, stewardship of our money. Well, this week, we want to look at being equipped because in my experience as a pastor, decades of talking and working with people and even the little bit of time I got to serve in mental health, I found out so many people just simply aren't equipped. I ask you to look around the sanctuary Sunday morning. I said, look around. There's not a person in this room that hasn't made financial mistakes. There's not a person in this room that hasn't made relational mistakes. There's not a person in this room that hasn't sinned. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have regrets. And if you're that person, then you're probably at the wrong church, and you probably should have just a church of you, yourself, and no one else because you've deceived yourself. All of us have made mistakes. And so one of the things we've said, we want to lift this, this thing of shame that causes us to hide from God and hide from ourselves. Adam and Eve and their sin, shame calls them to try to hide from God. Shame calls them to hide from one another. And we saw the acceleration of what can happen in a family and in a society and then ultimately in a whole world. So this morning, I want to come, and our key word is equip. But before I do, I want to read you an article that before I ever moved to Michigan, I saved this story in 1995 about a lady named Osceola McCarty. Does anybody know who Osceola McCarty was? I bet when I remind you, you're going to remember her. Osceola McCarty spent a lifetime making other people look nice. Day after day, for most of her 87 years, she took in bundles of dirty clothes and made them clean and neat for parties she never attended, weddings to which she was never invited, and graduations she never saw. She had quit school in the sixth grade to go to work, never married, never had children, and never learned to drive because there wasn't any place in particular she wanted to go. All she ever had was work, which Ms. McCarty saw as a blessing. Too many other black people in rural, rural Mississippi did not even have that, speaking of work. She spent almost nothing. She lived in her old family home, cutting the toes out of shoes if they did not fit, binding her ragged Bible with scotch tape to keep Corinthians from falling out. And over the decades, her pay, mostly in bills and change, grew to more than $150,000. More than I could ever use, Ms. McCarty said the other day, without a trace of self-pity. So she's given her money away to finance the scholarships for black students at the University of Southern Mississippi in her hometown. And in 1995, tuition was $2,400 a year. I wanted to share my wealth with the children, said Ms. McCarty, whose only real regret is she never went back to school. Now listen to this. I never minded work. Say that with me. I never minded work. But I was always so busy, busy, busy. 
Maybe I can make it so the other children have to work like I did. People in Hattiesburg call her donation the gift. She made it in part in anticipation of her death. And as she sat in her warm, dark living room, she talked of that death matter-of-factly, the way she talked about the possibility of an afternoon thundershower. To her, the gift was like a preparation, like closing the bedroom windows to keep the rain from blowing in on the bedspread. I know it won't be too many years before I pass on, she said, and I just figured the money would do them a lot more good than it did me. Ms. McCarty's decision had a profound impact on me and my thinking. It was 1995 that Becky and I sat down with our financial advisor and our financial counselor, and we, you know, we opened up our books, and she sat in our home, and, and I'll never forget, she's a brilliant woman. She says, you're giving away too much of your income. And I remember looking at her and saying, everything you see is because we have put God first in our lives. And suddenly, her whole focus changed. Because as a financial advisor, she was about how you can get more, more, more. And then she wanted to know, and we talked to her about giving, giving, giving. And she made this statement, and I've shared this with you before. She just happened to come on the right day, didn't she, honey? She says, it's like taking a volume when I come to your house. We had four small children, you know? They just happened to be extra good that day. Maybe you had given them a value, and I didn't know it. <laughs> but she became a friend, and off and on, she was in our home and in our, my parents' home as well. And I want to say to you this morning, getting equipped is not just about you're getting more stuff, but being equipped is catching a hold of something Ms. McCarty called a hold of. You see, she never made more than $7.50 an hour. And yet, she left this incredible gift to the University of Southern Mississippi. She had a faith in God that was unshakable. I know that she lived as a single woman, and so there were a lot of things that she didn't know that you know about raising children, especially if you're a single mom or a single dad. But it bothers me when I read people like Ms. McCarty, when I know people like I know some of you here whom you have blessed the kingdom and you've been good stewards. And I read as I read again in the paper this week. As a matter of fact, I almost don't read the articles anymore. They've become so common where the average baby boomer hasn't even saved $1,000. They don't have $1,000 in case there's an emergency that comes up in their life. Because we live in a culture that entices us more and more to spend. And when I talk to Christians, I found out so many of them have never really been equipped. They love God, and many of them have tithed, but they've never known how to manage the 90% that they have left over. And so today, I'd like you to look at this word equip, and I'd like you to get a hold of this promise that I read to you from the scripture. You know God, you love God, you trust God. And I want you to look at me and listen to me very carefully because if you don't get this before I preach this message, you may despair rather than hope. God wants you to succeed. Say that with me. God wants me to succeed. God doesn't want you to fail. A good teacher tests her students or his students not because they want them to fail. They want the students to see what they've learned and maybe what they need to reapply themselves to so they can learn better. Am I right, Jeanette? That's the purpose of a test. It's not to make you fail. The purpose of the test is to make you more confident and stronger. God wants you to succeed. That doesn't mean he won't let you be tested because when you're tested, your character deepens. When you're, you're tested, you grow as a human being. 
But God created you to be a success. God created you to enjoy abundant life, and that includes your finances as well. So the second principle that I I just want to throw out there real quickly is there is hope. I don't care what quarter you're in. You may be in the last two minutes of the fourth quarter of your life, but God can do more for you in two minutes than you could do in a lifetime if you put your trust and faith in him. That is not just merely me flapping my gums. That is what I have seen. That is what I've experienced. And that is what I know to be true. God can turn your situation around. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to come to heaven victorious in Jesus' name. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? Third principle I want you to get, God is not in the business of failing. God is not in the business of not keeping his word. His dreams and his plans for you, they will prosper and they will be accomplished if you will cooperate with him, if you will yield to him, if you will say, Lord, have your way in my life. God can change everything no matter what quarter you're in in life. So with that in mind, I want you to stand and I want to read to you a couple of passages here and then we're going to pray. If you're tired from carrying heavy burdens, come to me and I'll give you rest. So if you're tired financially, if you've just found yourself waking up at night worried about your finances, if you found yourself obsessing during the day, if you found yourself daydreaming about getting away from it and escaping, God says, come to me. I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you peace. God's not in the business of lying. God keeps his word. Amen? Amen. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 6 says, If you want to live, give up your foolishness and let understanding guide your steps. If you want to live, give up your foolishness. I mean, there are some things from time to time the Lord has said, DC, this is foolish. Give it up. There have been times when the doctors have said to me, he said, now, this is foolish. I know you're going to press and you're going to try, but this is foolish. Don't do that again. I don't feel insulted. I feel loved. I feel cared for. Just like you love your children, if there are things that you know that you shouldn't be doing financially, then God says, give that up. And let understanding, now the assumption there, look at me, let understanding, God's going to give you the understanding. That's why, especially if you're having financial difficulties, you ought to read a chapter from the book of Proverbs every day. There's 31 chapters, one a a day per month. It's like a vitamin. You'll get more understanding about how to handle your finances in Proverbs than you will anywhere else. Let understanding guide your steps. Lord, we come to you this morning and I just want to make an honest prayer and confession before you that we go to school to learn how to make money. We work 40 to 60 hours a week to earn money. Lord, we walk in shopping malls or on the internet and stores dreaming about how we want to spend our money. Lord, there are some of us that more than we care to admit, we worry a lot about our money, whether we're going to lose it or whether we're going to have enough to carry us through the end of our lives. Father, I just admit that as a pastor of this congregation that some have fought over money. Some have had broken relationships because of money. Lord, some, unfortunately, have even thought about suicide because of money. So I come to you today not because money is evil, but because, Lord, we need to be equipped to know how and what kind of relationship 
we should have with money. And I come, Lord, because I hurt for those who are worried or stressed about money. And I ask you in the next few minutes that there will be a supernatural flow of grace and compassion, but power and purpose as well. That when we leave this place today, there will be rest for our souls, there will be power to live upon, and we will be equipped to know how to use our finances. For it's in Jesus' precious name I pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I was a little surprised in our first service this morning. We had more young adults than we normally have in our first service, and um, which made me very pleased. But also what also was very rewarding to me was how many of those came through and said, Pastor, thank you for talking to us about this, and thank you for speaking. And one man says, Pastor, I want to know more about this. And I hope this morning to give you some resources that are going to connect you as well. Over the years, I've talked with so many people in this congregation, and so for so many of you, I have said to you what I want to say right now, and that is, we've talked, and when you leave my study, there's somebody else I've got to see, there's another project to work on, there's something else to do, and I will never come to this pulpit and talk to you about anything personally, but I always pray that God will speak to you through the messages that I prepare. So if something I say hits particularly close to home, I don't want you to feel like, oh gosh, pastor's singling me out. That is not what I'm doing. I just want to preach God's word, and I'm asking you to hear it and to receive it this morning. And I hope at the same time you don't take that as an apology, but you take that as an encouragement to listen carefully. One of the things that I've always admired about this congregation is I've talked to you over the years is I've never had anybody in our church talk to me about wanting to become uber rich. I've never had anybody in our church talk to me about wanting to become mega rich. I've had a lot of people talk to me about they want to prosper, they want to do well, but most of what I hear, and I could sum it like this, is people in our congregation just want to be financially free. They want to be free from worry. They want to be free from doubt. They want to be free from cares. They want to be free from debt. They want to be free to enjoy giving generously, happily to the Lord. They want to be free to take their families on vacations. They want to be free to enjoy a movie and a bucket of popcorn at the, at the theater without feeling guilty about spending that money. Now, i got to be honest with you. There's a part of me, I feel guilty for spending money on popcorn at the movie. Nine bucks for a, pocket of, for a bucket of popcorn. They must water that stuff with, with the tears of unicorns and they must grow it out of golden kernels because I can make it for just pennies at home, right? So, you know, I, I understand you want to be free, but I also want you to learn the freedom of frugality as well. But there's one thing I've always admired about our congregation. I haven't ever met people that I felt like were greedy. But God says to you, if you listen to my counsel, if you will listen to what I say in my word, and so much of what Jesus said, and so much of what the book of Proverbs says, it will lead you to financial freedom, but the key is listening to and obeying the counsel of God. There are a number of you in here that I know that you've experienced that freedom and you've gone from being a debtor to a lender. You've gone from being the the tail to going to be the head. You have found out that God has blessed you. There's some in our church that were in bankruptcy. There were some, as one man just told me last week when we were out to lunch and talking about this message, Embrace, he was saying to me, Pastor, the greatest thing that ever happened to me was for me to get into financial trouble because that's what made me end up at Woodland Church to hear a series money, and now not only am I saved, but I'm out of debt, and I'm prospering, and my family is doing well. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? Now, that was just last week that somebody shared that with me. And so we need to understand how important this concept of stewardship is because you were created for stewardship. God says he created you to manage, to have dominion, not to have dominion taken over you, to to be able to manage well what God has given to you. So one of the first things I want to point out to you is how I work and how I spend my money, it reveals what I value. The way I work, how I apply myself to my job, the quality 
quality of the work I do, whether I'm self-employed or whether I work for somebody else. It truly reveals what I value and the virtues of my life and then how I spend my money. It also reveals what I value. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 9, don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you. But correct the wise and they will love you. Now stop. Hard stop right there. I've learned over the years that there are some people you just can't talk to. They're going to mock you. They're going to argue with you. They're going to disagree with you. They're going to tell you it's none of your business. And what I do with those people, I keep loving them. I keep friending them. But I don't try to argue and talk with them. Let me tell you something, friends. God has a way of dealing with the mocker. Some of you have raised a prodigal son. Some of you were a prodigal son. Maybe you were a prodigal daughter. God has a way of dealing. Don't cut off relationship, but don't cast your pearls before swine either. Let God deal with them, and he'll bring them to their own personal pig pen where they'll remember how good it was with God's family and God's house, and when they were walking with Christ, and they'll say, even the servants of my father have it better than this. I will arise and go home. Some of you are here because of that. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? Amen? Hallelujah. Never, never, never be intimidated. Never worry about the mocker. Leave the mocker to God. Look for the person that wants to learn, but correct the wise, and they will love you. Read that with me. Correct the wise, and they will love you. One more time. Correct the wise, they will love you. Teenagers, whenever your parents correct you, it's because they love you. The proper response is to love them back. Because if you don't love them back and understand they're putting boundaries around you to protect you, you don't understand what real love is, and somebody will take advantage of you, advantage of you and hurt you and destroy you. Are you following me? Correct the lies, and they will love you even more. But I will say this to parents. Don't ever say to your children, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. My daddy never gave me a spanking that hurt him more than he had hurted him, okay? So just, just love them and correct them. Instruct the wise, and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous, and they will learn even more. Solomon and David both understood how important truth was. In Psalms chapter 12, we won't read it, but in Psalms chapter 12, David goes on about how even neighbors are lying to each other, how neighbors flatter each other. In Psalms chapter 12, David even talks about the danger of lying to ourselves. And all of us, include, myself included, at times we have lied to ourselves. We've wanted to believe something that we knew wasn't true, and we would take that and we would listen to it until finally we made a decision based upon a lie. And David would talk about how rare, good, godly counsel was. David would talk about how rare, good, wise wisdom was. He would even talk about how rare the lips of a friend were that would speak truth to him. And most of us in this room, we know that to be true. There are people that will flatter us. There are people that will tell us things to try to manipulate us. We know how rare it is to find people who will always speak the truth in a loving and a kind way. And when I say that, remember, you are never persuasive when you're abrasive. Hello? Some people just want to stick the truth out there and use it like a knife or like a sword. And the reason they do that is it makes them feel better about themselves. It makes them feel superior. Friends, when Jesus taught truth, there was nothing cocky. There was nothing proud. There was nothing about him acting superior. People knew they were loved and they became wiser and they were loved by Jesus as they listened to truth. But Solomon also would capitalize upon what his, his father wrote. And he wrote so many of these proverbs because they were rare truths that would help us. And the truths of the Bible compared to all the books and all the bookstores and all the libraries of the world today, that ancient book that you carry with you or maybe on your phone or your iPad, it may seem so insignificant compared to all the volumes, millions and millions of volumes that are published every year. But you need to understand what you hold in your hands in the Word of God is more precious than diamonds. It's more rare than rubies. It is the most valuable godly counsel you can ever receive. Can you say amen to that? Now, I'm working on a series for next year on how testing, what God does to us through testing and trials. And as I was studying, I was thinking about how diamonds are formed out of carbon. And an old country music song came to my mind. How many of you love country music? I mean, you just don't... 
Oh, this is much better representation than the first service. Y'all pray for them. They need help when it comes to good music. But anyway, I, I was thinking of an old country music song, and so I started just Googling diamonds, and I found out something I didn't know. There is, diamonds are not rare. Everybody talks about how rare diamonds are. Diamonds really aren't rare. What's rare is what is called red diamonds. There are only 36 known red diamonds in the world. Also, red diamonds are flawless. All diamonds have a flaw in them, but a red diamond is flawless. And listen to this. A red diamond is worth between $800,000 and $2 million per carat. That makes what I put on Becky's finger seem like something that came out of a Cracker Jack box. Okay? $800,000 and $2 million. They're just, per carat, they're just that rare. And in a world today that is full, so full of advertisement, so full of financial advising firms, so full of insurance firms, so full of attorneys, so full of people who want to influence how you use your money, I want you to know that the truths in God's Word will be more precious to you if you apply them and use them than all the books that you can ever read, even from a Christian perspective, on financial management. Immerse yourself into the promises and the instruction and the counsel of God's Word. And wise people said, I can't emphasize that enough. So back to my point. How I work and how I spend my money reveals what I value. The Bible says in Proverbs 26, verse 14, one of those red diamond scriptures, as the door swings back and forth on its hinges, so the lazy person turns over in bed. Lazy people consider themselves smarter than seven wise counselors. It is unthinkable. Look at me. Have you ever been shocked? How many of you have ever been shocked? I mean, oh, you haven't lived. How many of you have ever really been shocked by some news you've heard before in life? I mean, I've had my mouth drop open sometime, okay? It is shocking in the Bible. It is unthinkable in the mind of God that anybody would live a lazy, unproductive life. I mean, when it comes to biblical thinking, red diamond thinking, when it comes to biblical thinking, the Bible doesn't even imagine the person that would choose to live that way. The person with an entitlement mentality that says the government ought to take care of me. The person with an entitlement mentality that says my mom and daddy ought to take care of me. But the Bible has this sense that people who are able to work, people who have the skills to work, people who have the strength to work and the mental stability to work, that these are people that ought to get up and go out and do something. The Bible says the sluggard needs to get out of bed, go to work, and earn his money. The New Testament, the New Testament, everybody says we love the New Testament more than we love the Old Testament because it talks about love more. (laughs) Sometimes I just want to choke them. What they're not talking about love is they're talking about this sloppy, agape stuff that they want to be. The New Testament says if a man doesn't work and take care of his family, he's worse than a... Oh, you know that verse, right? Let's say it together. He's worse than an infidel. The New Testament says that if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't. You know that verse too, right? So it is shocking to us to meet people who will not get out and go to work. When God created you, God put his image upon you. God put something of himself inside of you. That's what we talked about in embracing last week. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 5 with me. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Fools go, you know what, I just need to take it easy. And the Bible says they just begin to self-disintegrate and rot right in front of your very eyes because a little folding of the hands and a little slumber and a little rest and their lives begin to fall apart. The Bible says in Proverbs 6.6 6, that lazy people should learn a lesson from the way ants live. Ants don't work all the time, but they work in season and they harvest and they store up. And he says, look at the ants and how they work and how every member contributes and does his part in the ant, ant colony. When God created you, and I just told you, he put his image upon you. God put, listen, don't miss this. This is who you are. You are not an evolved ape. 
You are not an evolved monkey. You are not some goo that came to the zoo. You know, you are the creation of God. You are the apex of God's creation. And God put his, 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 his nature inside of you. He put enormous creative ability. Some of us, he put leadership ability. Some of us, he put mechanical ability. Some of us, he put personal abilities. He gave you decision-making abilities. He gave you conscience to know right from wrong. It's called natural theology. God gave to you the ability to make music or to enjoy music. God puts in all of us some way that we're able to solve problems, we're able to experiment, we're able to logically think. God puts all of this inside of us and he says, this is my masterpiece. He didn't create you to sit in front of a computer screen go bang, 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 bang and kill stuff all day long. He didn't create you to watch movies all day long. He didn't create you to lie on the beach all day long. God created you so that you could do something creative in turn. Well, that ought to make you clap your hands and praise God this morning. I mean, think about the way God shaped you. Then God says, now listen, God says, now I'm going to create this thing called labor. And when I first wrote this, so when I go into labor, then I thought as a man, I can't write that. Only women go into labor. But when I go into work... I am expressing the image of God. No matter what my... Your work is no more sacred than my work. My work is no more sacred than your work. It's one of the great truths of the Protestant Reformation. When I get involved in work, it stretches me. When I get involved in work, it stretches my mental capacities. It stretches my creative capacities. It deepens my character. It deepens my relationship with God. When I get involved in work, and I work not to please men, but I work to please God, something takes place in me, and suddenly my discernment begins to sharpen. Suddenly as a human being, I, I experience the satisfaction of a job well done. I called my brother-in-law one day, and, he, and Gary and I were talking on the phone, and I said, Gary, what are you doing? He says, I'm sitting on my front porch. I'm drinking a glass of iced tea, and I'm looking at how pretty the yard looks since I mowed it. He was experiencing a deep sense of satisfaction. I said, Gary, come see me. I've got another lawn you can mow and be satisfied over. You see, there is this sense of satisfaction. Whether you're a teacher, whether you're a manager, whether you're building a car, whatever it is, there's this deep sense of satisfaction that comes over us. And some of you know that joy of accomplishment. It's why the Bible says, look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as though you were working for the Lord and not for human beings. Would you read that out loud with me? And I want you to read this really proudly this morning. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as though you were working for the Lord and not for human beings. A few years ago, I was preaching in a another town, and I got in on that Saturday, and um, as I'm prone to do, I leave something behind if I don't use a checklist, and so I went to the local Kmart <clears throat> to pick up a, I think it was a toothbrush and some toothpaste and stuff like that, and when I walked in, there was this elderly man. He was mopping floors in a Kmart. He had a mop, and he was just working along the edges, a big mop, and and, you know, I know they have machines for that and all now, and I felt so sorry for him. I thought, bless his heart. Here he's, you know, he didn't prepare well for retirement, and he's having to mop at the Kmart to kind of make Social Security stretch. And I wanted to be an encouragement. So, I, you know, I went over in a kind of a condescending way. I look back now, and I was so stupid, you know. I, I just went over to him, and, and I said, you are doing such a good job. These floors look great. And then this is where I felt stupid. I said, I worked for Kmart when I was in college. You know, and here he is. He's in his 80s, and he's working at Kmart. And I said, I worked for Kmart when I was in college, and they were so good to me. I, I came in at 4.30 in the morning and swept their parking lots, drove a parking lot sweeper, and then I managed the lawn and garden in the evenings. And, uh, and so I asked him, and he ended up telling me, he says, oh, I don't do this because I have to do it. I do it because I enjoy working. He said, I retired, and he says, after a while, he said, the wife and I, he says, we camped, and it got boring. 
He says, so I wanted to work, so I came down here and they gave me a job. He says, guess what? I train all these kids because their mamas have not taught them how to clean up after themselves. They don't know how to mop a floor. They don't know how to wax a floor. They don't know how to keep things neat. And he says, I train these kids and I model. And I said, what did you do? He retired from middle management with a great corporation, had a great pension, and a great income. He was mopping floors at Kmart because he enjoyed mopping floors. And he ended up blessing me. We had this great conversation. I get to church the next morning to preach, and guess who's sitting in the congregation? <laughs> I was blessed from my head to my toes. Friends, whatever you do, work at it heartily as unto the Lord. You're not working for people. You're working for the glory of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't retire and rot. Hello? That's from the book of Genesis, Dennis, chapter 1. We'll find you something to do. How highly I think of God then will help me manage my prosperity. And that's my next point. Only two points this morning. How highly I think of God will help me manage my prosperity. You see, what I think about God is how I'm going to manage my money and manage my work. What I think about God is how I'm going to manage my time. It goes back to what we talked about last week, embracing God's plan. Not only embracing God's plan for work and stewardship, but embracing God's plan of salvation for you. Now look, at this is important. God's plan is not just to prosper you and to make you a success, but God's plan is to save you from your sins. There is a heaven to gain, there is a hell to shun. There will come a time where all of us will breathe our last lives. We prayed it this morning when I asked Becky to help me pray, especially for the number of women in our church who are having health problems right now. And I am believing God for 100% healing for those people that we're praying for. But even if they're healed, all of us will come to a time where we're going to die and we're going to face the Lord. And if we face the Lord having died in Christ, he will look at us and not look at our righteousness, but he will see us as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus is what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's why every mother and father, why every grandparent that has a lost grandchild or a lost son or daughter ought to be on their knees daily praying and seeking God. There will come a time where we will, each of us, some sooner than later, some through accident, some through disease, some through natural causes, but we will stand before God. And God wants you saved. God wants you to live with him forever. God cannot, look at me right here in the eye, God cannot imagine eternity without you. That's how much he loves you that he gave his son Jesus Christ to die for your sins. One of my very best friends in the whole wide world was in my wedding, called me this last week, and he was a consultant for Disney on the movie American Sniper, and he was also was, did the profile study on the man called Mustafa. We went to college together at Southeastern. And when he was telling me about it, he said, Dee, have you ever watched that movie? And I said, no, I've never watched it. And friends, I'll tell you, I, I've watched a part of it and had to turn it off. My heart was just breaking. And last night we were praying for our soldiers and military that are serving. And those wars are still going on. But you say, was it the violence that broke your heart? Was it the language that broke your heart? It was none of that. It was a fact that when I see people dying and going into a crisis eternity, something happens in my spirit. Brothers and sisters, hear me this morning. It matters to God and it matters to this church about the eternity of lost people. That's why there's the cross. And God doesn't want you to prosper just so you can enjoy a camper. God wants you to enjoy heaven with him forevermore. That's what I mean by embracing the plan of God. And so we must apply ourselves in the way we think about God. God, what is my purpose in advancing the cause of Christ through my work, through my play, through my prayers? What is my purpose in advancing the cause of Christ? This last week was Epiphany Week. And I was praying and thinking and about the journey of those wise men that the Bible calls them, those sages, those men from Persia. I had a thought that gripped my mind and I just wrote it down. Why was it? Now listen to this. Don't miss this. Why was it where the people with the least knowledge of the truth was the most hungry for the truth? And why was it the people who had the most knowledge of the truth were the least hungry to know the truth? See, God doesn't care how much you and I know. He cares what we do. What you have in your head doesn't matter. It's what you do with what you have in your head. That's what the Bible calls wisdom. 
And then the more I began to think about that, what was it about those men with the least knowledge? They were willing to follow the little bit of light that they had, and they followed that star, and they worshiped the Lord Jesus. And there God warned them in a dream because there was another man who said, I want to come worship him too. But he was lying because Herod knew what some of you may know in this room and what some people who are listening on the internet may know. God knows and you know you cannot share the throne with Jesus. If you want to be the God of your life and the God of your kingdom, you can never serve Jesus. You have to bow at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, be Lord, be master of everything, or he will be nothing at all. And the reason some people try to destroy the knowledge of God in our society, in our community, is because they want human beings to sit on the throne. We don't sit on the throne. We thrive when we bow before the throne of our Lord and we worship him as God and King and Savior forever and ever. Can we praise him this morning? It's vital. It's vital because if you don't know that, then you can't handle prosperity. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you, testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Psalm 66 and verse 10. You have tested us, O God. You have purified us like silver. When you're tested, it doesn't mean that you're out of the plan of God. When you're tested, it doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. When you're tested, sometimes that means you're right in the middle of the will of God. God brings you through those testings to deepen your character, to grow you in Christ so that you know who he is and you know who you are. That's why money management is a part of being a passionate follower of Christ. It's a part of discipleship. It's why we teach good sense at this church. It's why I've asked Heinz and Marilyn to to lead us and and provide counsel and they have other people in our congregation that can help you. You see, learning how to manage, look at me now, don't miss this. Because so many churches will not teach upon this subject. But unless you learn how to manage your money properly, you will never know what it means to become a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Because a passionate follower of Christ, it includes every area of our life. Money is not passive. Money is, is passive. It's not evil in itself. Watching a football game the other night, I saw it come up where somebody says, you have heard it said that money is the root of all evil, and it showed some pious person upon the scripture. The Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. Look at this with me. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. It's not money is passive. It's what you do with money. It's what you choose to do with what you've earned, what you've got in your life. If you use it for God's glory, you bring great glory and honor to God. If you use it selfishly, you take away from the glory of God. I told you a few minutes ago that one of the things I've admired about this congregation is I've never had anybody come to me with greedy dreams. I've never had anybody say, I want to be uber rich. I've just heard mostly about freedom. I want to be free from worry. So my suggestion to you from the Word of God is have a plan that leaves you to financial freedom. Parents, look at me. You need to be teaching this to your children today. Benjamin called me one day in school. He was taking a required class. And he says, how many of you, you were taught this at home? Ben said, Dad, I'm the only one that raised my hand. He says, no, and this is at a Christian college. He says, nobody in our class, none of the parents had taught them how to manage their money. Look at me, moms and dads. It's your responsibility to model it, but also teach and show them how. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 5. Good planning and hard work, read it with me, lead to prosperity. Let's read it again. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. Hard stop. I'm not a health and wealth preacher. I don't believe God rains down Cadillacs from heaven. But I am a Bible preacher, and I do believe that if you follow the advice of the Word of God, you're going to prosper. God doesn't want you to fail. He wants you to succeed. And everybody said, 
We used to call that the Protestant work ethic. How many of you have ever heard that phrase before? The Protestant work ethic. And I don't mean to bash anybody, but listen carefully. Wherever the Protestant work ethic has held and prevailed, those parts of the world have prospered more than other parts of the world, even in other expressions of Christianity. That Protestant work ethic of trusting what God's Word says will lead to prosperity. So what I recommend, and what we recommend at this church, is begin with a 10-10-80 plan. Begin with a 10-10-80 plan. And what I mean by the 10-10-80 plan is just simply this. Number one, I will tithe. Tithe means 10%. Even again, just recently somebody says, but isn't tithing Old Testament? Friends, can I just be real clear with this? Tithing existed before the law. Abraham tithed. Isaac tithed. Tithing was in existence long before the Old Testament law was given. When people say that, you know, I'm not going to argue with them, but I am going to tell you what the word of the Lord says. Tithing, Jesus says you should tithe, but here's what blows people away when they want to say that tithing is not necessary. It all belongs to God if you read the New Testament. It's not just that 10% belongs to God. Every once in a while, people tell me, say, well, I gave God what's God's. I gave him 10%. Hello, McFly, anybody home? It all belongs to Jesus. If you believe that, say amen. It is God who gave you that ability to earn it. But start with the tithe. Look at this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first and best part of all your income. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Look at Malachi. Can a person cheat God? Yet you are cheating me. You ask, how are we cheating you? When you don't bring a tenth of your income and other contributions, so a curse is on you because the whole nation is cheating me. I believe that's part of the struggle America's having today. Bring one-tenth of your income into the storehouse so there will be food in my house. Read this out loud with me. Test me. Say it again. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies, and see if I won't open the windows of heaven for you and flood you with blessings. Three things I want you to get from this verse of Scripture. Number one. It's the only time God says, test me. It's the only time God says, test me on this. Number two, God promises you protection if you tithe. Number three, God promises you blessings if you tithe. How many of you want to be blessed and protected by the Lord? May I see your hand this morning? How many of you think you can get along just fine without God? Okay? Let me ask you a question. How's that working out for you? You see, even if you think it's working out pretty good, you may be headed for a pigsty and don't know it. Even if you think it's working out pretty good, you're all just like me, headed to a grave where you will stand before the Lord and you will give an accounting for what you've done with what God has blessed you with. Number two, I will save 10%. You're going to pay your mortgage. You're going to pay your light bill. Friends, why don't you pay yourself? I should get as many amens on that as I got on tithe. I mean, if you're going to pay every, you work hard. You work hard for your money. You need to set aside 10% and save for yourself. Whoever gathers little by little has plenty. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Your children need to learn how to tithe, and they need to learn how to save, and they need to learn that from you as you show them and teach them how, as you get involved, teach them how. And if you start off, if look at me, some of you that are young and in college, if you will start now with this principle in your life, when you get to be my age, you will be amazed at how prospered you will be. You will be amazed at how well off you are. Even through the bad times, Larry Biquette, I, many of you don't know his name anymore, but Larry had me up to his home north of Gainesville, Georgia, years ago and showed me how all this works. Even through some of the most difficult times of our nation's history, you will be blessed. God will take care of you. Put him first, begin to save secondly, and you will find out. I, now, let me just give you an illustration. I took our church, matter of fact, kind of shocked the staff this week. I took our church. There are over 1,000 people that call this church their home, but what I did was I took our average weekend attendance, I divided that, I took 66% of that, 
to make two-thirds of our church to take out all the children and to take out the single moms that don't work in our church. And so I left what I felt with each family would be the average, this is below the Brownstown average median income, but the average median income of $45,000. I took the average median income of $45,000, which was $4,500 tithe a year. Friends, we would almost double our tithes at Woodland Church just off of weekend attendance alone if everybody bought their 10% tithe into the house of the Lord. Can you imagine? That wouldn't raise our salaries. That wouldn't raise our mortgage payment. That would just give us more resources to use to do good in our community and for the glory of God. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? Now look at me. It's not because there's not enough for God, and it's not because there's not enough for you. God doesn't need your money. And you want to tell you something. I have never preached for money. I will never preach for money. I have been offered those things. But listen to me. God doesn't need our money. God wants our hearts. And that's what the purpose of the tithe. God wants you secure. That's what the purpose of savings. And the third thing I would say is seek counsel. Seek counsel. One of the things that I love so much about Osceola McCarty, let me tell you this. If you read this whole article from the New York Times, Osceola McCarty Ask yourself, how did a woman, who all she, she, she only had a sixth grade education, all she ever did was wash and iron clothes for the judges and for the attorneys. She never got invited to their weddings. She never got invited to their high school graduations. But what Mrs. McCart- what Miss McCarty did was she sought out those bankers and she sought out those attorneys' counsels and she says, how can I take the little bit that I earn and make something out of it? And she put God first in her finances. She put herself second in her finances. And when she got ready to go home to meet the Lord, she was able to give $150,000. There's not a person in this room that God can't use in that same way as he used Ms. McCarty. Can you say amen to that? If you seek counsel, and it doesn't do any good, I'm going to get real, real personal right now. Real personal. And I did this in the first service, so this is not just you. But friends... There's nothing I haven't heard. And people come into me and they talk to me about some of the most embarrassing things that you could imagine. And they hang their heads in shame. And they hang their heads. Pastor, my world is falling apart. My marriage is falling apart. My life is falling apart. And when I hear some of the things they did, my heart breaks for them. And eventually we go, what happened? Why would you make such a decision? Their world is caving in on them. But what happens that just breaks my heart that's not necessary? So look at me. Hear the heart of God to your pastor this morning. People come to me with that same kind of shame when it comes to mismanaging their money. Mismanaging your money is not like some of the horrible sins that other people have committed. Many times, mismanaging your money is just simply because you've never been equipped and you've never been taught and you don't know how and you don't know how to discipline yourself and your world is caving in. But our society, it values people on their resources, not on their virtue. Our society values people on their money, not upon their character. And so we bought into that lie and we hang our heads in shame and we do what Adam and Eve did. We try to hide from God. We try to hide from each other. When you go get counsel, tell the truth. Say, this is where I need help with my credit. This is where I need help with my spending. This is where I need help with saying no to myself and yes to God. This is where I need help in teaching my children. I don't know how to say no to my children. I have watched people not pay their light bills and not pay their mortgages and risk it putting out on the street because a spoiled teenager had to have the latest gaming system or mama and daddy didn't love them. And I have sat in my office and told that teenager, your parents love you. They're trying to put a roof over your head and fruit on your table. Quit guilt tripping your parent into a stupid game that won't be worth a penny in 30 days and cooperate and help your mom and dad. Shake off the shame. Shake off the heavy bands. There is a God who wants to set you free today to live the abundant life he created you for. And there is not a person in this room that hasn't made financial mistakes. I love you. I love you with all my heart. And I want you 
I want you to hear God's word and finally build wealth for his glory and honor. Of all the wonderful stories I've heard, people who've left millions. Thomas Trask and I, the former district general superintendent of the Assemblies of God, were sitting down talking one time about a very generous person. He told me how well he had managed his estate and what he had done, what he left for the kingdom of heaven. It was a timber baron in Georgia that I became friends with. We needed a missions project done in Africa. I love Africa. What a wonderful continent. Some of the sweetest, most godly people I've ever met. I've sat in their huts. I've sat at their tables. I've worshipped in their churches and preached with them. I love Africa. Some of the most corrupt leaders I've ever witnessed. I've had them try to take my journal, threaten to put me in prison, leaving some countries in Africa. But some of the sweetest people and sweetest pastors I've ever met. And to see them sacrificially bring and then hear those pastors tell what that little bit that we would look at in America and say is nothing but the eyes of God it was riches beyond our describing because they had nothing but they managed to leave something I remember sitting with this timber baron if you've ever heard me tell my famous story about going raccoon hunting to get that million dollars I had to go raccoon hunting I never want to go raccoon hunting again. But he cried and he wept. And his words were, this is nothing compared to what God will use it for. It's very important that you not judge yourself by other people. By where they live, what they drive, what they wear where they went to school. You've got one person to please. That's not me. That's not anybody in this church. You've got one person to please, and that's Christ. And we want to walk with you. Can you put up the growth work just so I can run through it real quickly? I put up a whole list of resources. First of all, I want you to memorize Philippians 4, 6 through 7. I want you to memorize that. You can have the peace of God. Put the next one up for me, please. I want you to create a plan. If you don't know how to do that, we will help you. We've got resources that we will give you to help you. Put up the next one. I want you to take the tithe challenge. I want you for three months, if you've never tithed, I want you for three months. And if you're a member of this church and you're not tithing, then you're lying because you signed a covenant that you said you would tithe. And they'll say, Amen or owe me one. But if you're a member of this church, you need to put God first in your finances. And if you're not, then I want you to take the tithe challenge. And I want you to put God first in your finances. Quit thinking you know more than God. And try testing for three months. And if God hasn't taken care of you at the end of that three months, if you haven't been able to pay your bills, if you haven't been, if you'll come see me and request a check, we'll have a check made out for you, and I'll give you every cent you gave back. Only one time has anybody ever taken me up on that. And when he came in, I had his check for him. The first thing I did was reach out and hug him. And he says, Pastor, I don't want that check. I just wanted to see if you'd do it. Listen to me. I don't have a bulldog mouth and a chihuahua heart. I got the heart of a bulldog too. We'll do that. You give. You put God first. If he doesn't take care of you, email me. There's my email. I'll walk you through how to start. Next. Corey walks you through automated giving. 
those of you that are on automated giving, some of you have told me, since I set my tithing up on automated, I never even think about it anymore. It just, it comes. We're tithers now. It's just like if you were automated savings from your job, you never think about it. Just put God first next. And here's a list of, go through, I'm going to go through them quickly. Good sense. This Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey, I can't recommend that high enough. You can also go to his website. If you want to know how to teach your children Smart Kids, Smart Money by Dave Ramsey and Rachel Cruz. That's his daughter. Great book. My favorite book, Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. If you're a homemaker, Sense and Sensibility by Scott and Bethany Palmer. And then Larry Burkett has a, it's, it's very inexpensive. If you use Logos, you can get it on your Logos or whatever Bible software you use. This World's Easiest Guide to Finances by Larry Burkett is just a tremendous resource. Go into a lot more detail than I can. Hines, Marilyn, would you stand? I think everybody knows you, but there's, we have some guests today. Hines and Marilyn donate their time. They teach a wonderful course here at Woodland called Good Sense. They're not going to, unless you want to show them, they're never going to ask you, let us see your checkbook. They're never going to ask you, let us see your credit card. They're never going to ask you that. But they have helped so many people in our congregation get their finances on the right track. They've helped so many people turn around that were going into the hole, begin to climb out of the hole. And I am forever grateful to you because they take the time and work with you. And so I want you, you can drop Hines an email or Marilyn an email. I want you to take time. If you don't know how to manage your finances, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Don't let shame, don't let the devil rob you through shame. But get with Hyde and Maryland. You can be city guys. And let them help you and get you on the right track. They will coach you. They will be there to walk alongside of you. And they'll help you become financially successful. If you need tax planning, you need to get with a good tax pro. Becky told me a few years ago, she said, if I'd known when we were younger what I know now about taxes, and she's... She's the clergy pro for all of Southeast Michigan and Northwest Ohio. Denominations send their pastors to Becky. She says, our lives could have been totally different if I'd have known all those unnecessary taxes we were having to pay. You need counsel. A wise man and a wise woman seek counsel. Can you say amen to that? And I hope you feel so loved this morning because that's what this has been all about is to help you become But I can't close this service without saying, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, then what will it profit you to gain the whole world and lose your own soul? God loves you. And you've got a more important choice to make this morning than your money. You have a choice to make about eternal salvation. So would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I ask you to search our hearts and search our lives. God, I ask you to speak to us and that we will humble ourselves. And Lord, for those of us that are doing good, that Lord, we'll strive to do better. That we'll strive for excellence. Lord, for those of us that aren't doing so well, I pray, God, that there will be hope. The Lord, things can get straightened out. Things can get back on track. And for Lord, those this morning that are really worried and they're frightened, God, they came looking for hope this morning. I pray that in the name of Jesus that you will breathe hope in them, that you have made all the resources of heaven, you have made all the protection of heaven. You've made all the blessings of heaven available to them if they will put you first in their life. And I pray, Lord, for my friends who don't know you yet, who haven't bowed their knee to you yet and said, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me. I pray that you'll give them the faith to cross the line and give their heart to you. And if that's you, would you just pray with me right now, quietly, don't have to pray it out loud, It's nobody else's business in this room what you're praying. But would you say, dear Lord Jesus, 
Thank you for sealing God's plan for my life. I embrace what you did for me at Calvary, that you died for my sins. And if I had been the only one, you loved me so much that you were still taking my sins upon yourself. I don't understand it all, but I understand enough to know I need to confess my sin and put my faith and trust in you so as much as I know how, I ask you, come into my heart and life and be my Lord today. Now, while every head is bowed, every, no one in this room is looking around. If you prayed that, would you lift up your hand just so I'll know, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you so much. I've been praying for you. Yes, somebody else. God bless you. Hallelujah. Anyone else? Dan, I know you're saved. Put your hand down. Amen. Can we give the Lord five people who are giving their hearts to Christ this morning and just thank Him? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I can't tell you what that means to me personally, that you give your heart to Jesus. I can't tell you what it means to God. But I also just want you to know this. You may, some of you have been here before and you've heard me say this. Some of you haven't. But did you know the angels are literally having a party? The Bible says all of heaven rejoices. So Woodland, can we rejoice with the angels this morning over those that have given their heart to Jesus Christ? <laughs> Hallelujah. Ushers, if you will come, we're going to worship the Lord with our tithes and our offerings this morning. And then we're going to go home and have a great day. Those of you that prayed for my Georgia Bulldogs to win last week, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Those of you that sent me condolences cards, thank you. That meant a lot, too. Um, those of you that have mocked me, I have prayed for you that your faith will fail. No, I didn't. I had some mockers in the first service this morning, but it was a great football game last week. Well, let's say everyone stand. Let's lift our gifts to the Lord. And Becky, if you'll take a phone or something and lift ours up, let's lift our tithes and offerings up to the Lord. Not unto us, but unto thy name be the glory. Because of thy loving kindness, you have given us the strength and the minds with which to earn our livings. You have given us a heart for generosity, and you have put your wings over us and protected and blessed us. There's not a one of us, Lord, here that can't say, God has been good. And so, my Lord, believing in your prosperity, believing in your blessings, believing in your protection, we happily bring our tithes and our offerings to you today. In Jesus' holy name, I pray. And Lord, for those who are giving for the very first time their tithe, I ask you that you will just pour the oil of joy out upon them. When they leave this place, may they be happy in their heart that they've trusted you with their finances. For it's in Christ's name I pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated as the ushers wait upon you.